Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Welcome to church this morning. So glad to have you with us. Uh, my name's Adam. I'm the West Shore Campus Pastor. So if you're from the West Shore, I am your guy. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. And it's a great, great morning to be in the house of the Lord. Ah, and so good to be here. Um, Pastor Andy, thank you for this morning. I hear, oh, thank you. Well, and now he leaves. There we go. All right. Um, you know, it's Palm Sunday, as Pastor Andy said. So if you have two palms, why don't you give the person beside you a high five? And uh, just kidding, different palm, dad joke. There you go. You're welcome. Glad to have you with us. And, um, you know, we are, we are on a series called The Road to Resurrection. And in it, specifically, what we're doing is we're, we're looking at Jesus' final days as he made his way to the cross and then, and then inevitably his resurrection. But, but for us, we have this very special and unique opportunity this week to slow our lives down and look at God's resurrection story and, and, and apply it to our own life and, and to look at his story, his narrative, and figure out, okay, Lord... You did that 2,000 years ago. Now here we are 2,000 years later. Pastor Andy already said that forever, we sang it together, forever you are with us, forever you're great, you're here forever. So God, today, because you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, speak to us. And so I believe with everything inside of me that you're not here by accident, but you're here for a reason. And my prayer is that God would speak something fresh to you. Because if you've been a Christian for any deal of time, you've heard a number of Palm Sunday sermons. There's only so many things we're gonna talk about. We're talking about Palm Sunday. Don't get, don't let routine, don't let uh, the fact that we've read something before throw you off. God has something special for you today. So let's do a little bit of a Bible study, shall we? So if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you go to John chapter 12. For some of you, this is a review. For some of you, this is the first time. For some of you, you just thought, oh my word, I'm supposed to bring a Bible to church. Don't you worry, you don't have to. We'll have it on the screen for you. You can follow along with me. But John chapter 12, verse 1. And what we're going to do here is we're going to actually not start at Palm Sunday. We're going to start the day before. We're going to look at the story and what took place in Jesus' life, and we're going to ask God to speak to us very specifically, something for us this morning. John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. Now, oftentimes when we're reading scripture, we just try and blast right through it to get to the good stuff. But I want us to stop right here just for a moment and consider this. On the road to resurrection, you are more than a miracle. You are more than a miracle. What do I mean by that? You see, this short verse presents us this interesting thought. It says, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. You see, it's important for us to understand this this morning. Lazarus is more than last week's sermon analogy. Friends, listen to me. Lazarus's resurrection wasn't a complete story. 
See, we, 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 we make it a complete story because it's more preachable that way. It's more memorizable that way. We, when we look at our own life, we, always, we often reduce our life to moments and stories. But Lazarus's full narrative is way bigger than one resurrection. Lazarus' res- resurrection wasn't the whole story. It was actually the first chapter of the second half of his life. It was, it was a new beginning for him. It speaks to this idea that you're, we're, we are all more than just a flash in the pan. It's important that we take some time sometimes to, to, to zoom out. Because the truth is, your life story is far bigger than your best miracle story that you've got. You see, Christianity isn't just about having extravagant moments with God. And those are awesome. Don't get me wrong. But real Christianity is about discovering that every moment with God is extravagant. In my opinion, arguably, and this is is my opinion, but I would argue that just as significant as Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is the fact that Jesus' desire was still to pursue and include Lazarus after the miracle. It wasn't just a one-time moment. It wasn't just that Lazarus is a one-trick pony and that's his only role in the Bible. You see, your greatest moments aren't behind you. And some of you have latched on to some. You say, I I, I can never picture God doing anything else other than what he did in me. It was so profound, so special. He can never top that. And inadvertently, you're putting this cap on what God can do. You see, I've noticed something in my Christian faith. And what I've noticed is it's it's uncomfortably easy for me to get stuck and, and to get fixated on the extravagant things of God. You experience a, a miracle, or you have a, a very special and profound moment with the Lord, or you experience a, a, a move of God. And it's, it's not that the moment is bad. It's the opposite. It's, it's incredible. It, it's extravagant. The problem is, and this is tough for us charismatic Pentecostal people, <laughs> the problem is we need to remember that the road to resurrection wasn't only paved with extravagant God moments, extravagant miracle stories. Real life and real Christianity and real resurrection include awkward stories too. (laughs) Includes awkward family members. Can I get an amen? Just kidding, just kidding. You can privately amen that one. It includes boring stories. It includes boring things. Jesus didn't walk on water everywhere he went. Sometimes he took a boat. That's interesting. He didn't have to, but he did. Real life includes painful stories. You see, Jesus' road to resurrection didn't look like or, 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 or feel like a honeymoon. It wasn't just like this epic, building, movie plot of excitement. 
And your, your road to resurrection likely hasn't felt like that either. So take a deep breath. Because <sighs> sometimes we compare ourselves to people. And sometimes we compare ourselves to things. And we have this idea of what we assume God works like. And if our life is anything less than that, that means we are living this unfruitful life. And that's not, that's not true. That's not how this works. You can't forget that in order for there to be a resurrection, somebody needed to die. So there's this painful piece, this like, human piece that we need to navigate when it comes to walking through Christianity. If we live our life longing for honeymoons or longing for uh, special occasions, what happens is we start to miss out on the day-to-day beauty of seeing Christ be a part of your everyday experience. And that's so important that we learn how to do that. Verse 2. The story continues. And it says in verse 2 that a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served it. But Lazarus was among those who ate with them. You see, on the road to resurrection, we got to remember that, that your seat at the table is more important than you realize. Lazarus' inclusion in this story, even as a sidebar, is more important than we realize. You see, Christianity includes exciting stories, but it also includes dinner parties. It also includes getting your kids all ready for church when it's all crazy. <laughs> it also includes meals with friends, mundane, normal, everyday type moments as well. And so as I mentioned earlier, you will be disappointed if you spend all your time chasing the hand of God and miss the heart of God in the process. Let me, let me, let me put it this way. Uh, don't undervalue the power and the importance of doing regular things in the presence of Jesus. You want to preach the gospel to your children? Learn how to be a Christian when nobody's watching. You want to preach the gospel to your spouse? Learn how to be a Christian when nobody's watching. That is where the real fruit blooms. Does fruit bloom? Not really. Flowers bloom. Fruit, you eat it, whatever. Verse 3, moving on. This is where the story gets real good. Verse 3. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. That word doesn't translate well. And she anointed, anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance. You got to imagine what this moment would have been like. We live in a post-Bible day, so sometimes we could assume that things that happened in the Bible were super normative, but this is not how you applied cologne back in the day. <laughs> This is not how this works. And so you got to picture this moment. It already said, everybody's there eating a meal. Martha made it. Lazarus is there eating. Everybody is there getting ready to take a bite to eat. They're eating their food. Everything is great. Martha, or Mary, she gets up rather. She walks out of the room. She comes back with this huge jar of perfume. She walks over to Jesus, kind of 
weasels her way in, kneels down right in front of him and slowly starts to pour this perfume all over Jesus' feet right in the middle of lunch. Everybody is looking at her. Everybody is looking at Jesus. If you, if you didn't notice her walk in, you can certainly smell it right now. The room is filling with this, this aroma. People start noticing the perfume spilling onto the floor. The moment gets tense. The moment is slightly awkward. It's, it's an irregular dinner set. Mary doesn't grab a rag to wipe up the, the perfume. She doesn't go and ask for a towel. She, without even thinking, she, she lets down her hair. And she begins to use her hair to wipe and anoint Jesus' feet with the perfume. Shocked. And I mean like utterly shocked. Everybody's sitting there thinking to themselves, what on earth are we witnessing right now? Everybody's silent. Everybody's wondering what on earth is Jesus going to say? And the entire room begins to fill with this fragrance. On the road to resurrection, your humble acts of worship will fill the room with fragrance. On the road to resurrection, uh, when you authentically, honestly, humbly, sincerely begin to worship Jesus, other people watch you and they notice. Other people are impacted by that. It, it impacts the entire room. Listen to me, friends, please, if you hear me say anything today, be careful not to minimize your tender moments with Jesus. They, they have the power to change the dynamics of any room, any situation, any relationship. And this isn't necessarily intuitive because we're private people and we don't want to make a scene. And we're also busy people, high capacity people, so don't really want to slow down either. And it's so easy to miss those tender moments with Jesus. So everybody's watching and somebody inevitably needed to break the ice. So somebody speaks up and it's Judas, of course. And this is what Judas says in verse four. He says, it says, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, him being Jesus, said this, that perfume, Jesus, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, the Bible says. Judas was actually a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole from them himself. But what's fascinating is Jesus' response. In the middle of the room, he speaks to Judas, but inevitably speaks to everybody. He speaks to us. He says, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. 
You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. On the road to resurrection, it's, it's important that I warn you. Be prepared to face criticism from those who do not understand what you are doing. You see, when it comes to Easter, when it comes to the church, when it comes to Christianity, Christianity is really confusing. Easter has been rebranded and remarketed. It's now about chocolate and Easter bunnies, just so you know. And so what we do as a church, what we're doing here, what we do in terms of Christianity, this is very countercultural now. Christianity is confusing to a culture that doesn't understand it. So stay the course. Don't be rattled. Your message, what we're doing here, is of infinite importance. There's a sweet spot in learning how to, how to live your life with Jesus as your defender. And this is what we see happen here in this scripture. But the story continues. And in verse 9, we get to these words. It says, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Jesus, or Lazarus, rather. If you're a Bible underliner, that's a great thing to circle. So they came to see Jesus, but they also came to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. Oh, great, thanks, Jesus. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. You want to you know, you want to know why Lazarus was seen as being so dangerous? You see, on the road to resurrection here, you're not just a Christian. Lazarus wasn't just a Christian convert. Lazarus was evidence that Jesus was real. And what's powerful about that is the same is actually true for us. You are not just Christians. You are evidence of a life-changing, life-transforming, resurrecting kind of Jesus. And that is an exciting thing. That changes everything. All of a sudden, we go from worldview, we go from Christianity is just another religion, to go to Christianity is actually tangible. It's practical. It's life-giving, life-changing. What I love about this picture of not being just a Christian, but being evidence, you see, the things God has done in your past is also evidence. So that miracle he's done back in the day that moment you experienced with God, that's evidence. Not just that Jesus is real, but it's evidence that if he could do it then, he can do it again. And that is a powerful thing. Verse 12. Verse 12 says this. Now we get to the triumphant entry. Now we're getting to Palm Sunday. The next day comes, and that's where we are. The news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem sweeps through the entire city. A large crowd of Passover visitors come and they took palm branches and they went down to the road to meet Jesus. They shouted, as Pastor Andy mentioned earlier, Hosanna. 
They shouted, praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. On the road to resurrection, news that Jesus is coming is worth spreading. The fact that Easter is one week away for us today is news that is worth spreading, especially in 2023, especially in this world that we live. Because you see, when rumors of Jesus having resurrection power start to go through a city, the community starts to notice. And that's why we all pay a part of this picture. We're all a part of this giant resurrection story. Because your story, telling people about his story, is evidence that Jesus can do it again. Verse 14. This is where the story gets a little odd. Not that it hasn't been odd already. (laughs) Jesus finds a young donkey and he rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid of people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. Verse 16 says these words. And I love how honest they are. And I can see some humanity in this sentence. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. In other words, the disciples at the time saw what Jesus was doing and thought to themselves, he has gone nuts. This makes no sense. This guy stole a donkey. (laughs) Borrowed a donkey. But he's riding a donkey. Why is he riding a donkey? Okay, Jesus, we'll just go with you. We'll just flow with it. We'll do what you say. But after Jesus had entered into his glory, they remembered. They remembered what had happened, and they realized that these things had been written about him way before. So what took place here is like really profound. And what it tells us is that sometimes Jesus does things that don't make sense. And this needs to be more okay. (laughs) I don't know if anybody else in this room has ever um, created a universe from nothing (laughs) Um, or created humanity from nothing um, or saved a soul before. (laughs) Um, But when I think of Jesus and his ability to literally do anything imaginable, it does make sense that there's this piece of me that doesn't understand everything that Jesus does. We call it being rational thinkers. Sometimes if I wonder, if I'm going to be honest, if Jesus calls it lack of faith. Amen, myself. That was a good one. That was good. Sometimes the spiritual significance of an event isn't obvious in the moment. Sometimes the spiritual significance of an event feels just like a normal conversation with somebody. (laughs) Probably actually feels like an awkward conversation with somebody. 
Quite honestly, sometimes that spiritual moment comes in the form of an inconvenience or an awkward moment or a difficult conversation. But, but trust the process. Trust Jesus in the process. Sometimes it's hard to see the thread that connects events, moments, and circumstances. But I can assure you of this, God is moving. Verse 17. Many in the crowd. Love this. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it everywhere. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. I have read the story of Palm Sunday countless times. And as I was preparing for this moment, this, these two sentences grabbed my heart. You see, to Jesus, raising Lazarus from the dead, well, that was an act of love. That's how God works. That's, that's how he functions. He's always all about making dead things alive, making old things new. That's how he functions. To Lazarus, though, he didn't, he didn't earn this privilege of being raised from the dead. He didn't win some sort of Christian lottery where, like, congratulations, you get a second chance on life. To Lazarus, he got a second chance. What, a, what an amazing thought. But the real power of Lazarus being raised from the dead is actually seen in the community. Because you see, to the community... Lazarus being raised from the dead was proof that Jesus was who he said he was. Lazarus' resurrection is the foreshadowing of Jesus' resurrection. Lazarus' resurrection was proof to the community, proof to the city, proof to the doubters that Jesus was who he said he was. In other words, it's like, it's like silly Lazarus. <laughs> Your resurrection, Lazarus, wasn't about you. Your resurrection was actually for the benefit of those around you. Your resurrection was actually bigger than you, bigger than time, bigger than that moment. Your resurrection actually impacts us even today. What a perspective on a moment. It's as if we're saying, silly man, what Jesus has done in your life isn't just for you, it's actually for your friends and family as well. Silly, silly woman, your healing miracle wasn't just for you so you can be healed, it was actually for everybody who has ever watched you limp. And now they can know that God is real. Silly, silly Christian, Jesus didn't save you for the sake of saving you. He saved you so that the city of Victoria could see that Jesus still changes lives. This is what he's saying. On the road to resurrection, what Jesus does in your life is more meaningful to those around you than you realize. Yes, the beauty of Christianity is that we can have a personal relationship with God. 
But that personal relationship has public influences. And you are a part of God's story, whether you like it or not. Verse 19 says these words, and I'll close with this. It says, then the Pharisees, standing back, watching everything that took place, speaking amongst themselves, looking at what just went on, they say these words. There's nothing we can do. <laughs> Look, everyone has gone after him. Everybody. On the road to resurrection, when God uses your story to tell his story, even the skeptics start to pay attention. And maybe today you're a skeptic in this room. You probably didn't walk in with your hand up saying that. But in your heart, enough of life has gone on to make you question a few things. But now you find yourself in the same shoes as the Pharisees, where they're sitting here, looking around, surrounded by people who appear to be genuinely convinced that Jesus is real. So to you, I just want to ask you a question. You see, I didn't grow up attending church. And I remember sitting in a church service one night and asking myself a question. It was after watching everybody during worship. It was after watching them kind of fill the room with aroma, if it were. It was after watching the preacher preach a sermon that looked like he believed everything that he was saying. And I found myself sitting in the pew asking myself this question. What if it's not them who have it wrong? What if I have Jesus wrong? What if Jesus is real? And what if you're not here by coincidence? And what if this is the moment that God has been waiting for so that he can grab your attention? Because you see, if God can resurrect Lazarus, spiritually speaking, maybe he can resurrect you today, give you a new lease on life, a second chance. Can I ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? This Easter, if you're, if you're here today and you feel God drawing you to him, you can start a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe I'll say you can restart a relationship for some of you. Because maybe this is your first time back in church in a long time. But with all of our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I just want to create a safe little space. If you would like to give your life to Jesus, and have him come into your heart. I would love to pray with you. Can I ask you to raise your hand? And that way I know who I'm praying for. Yes, yeah, thank you, thank you. I won't rush this moment. 
hands up all over the room. But I want to invite you to pray with me. And it's a very simple prayer. It's a sorry, thank you, please. And this prayer is the beginning of a new relationship that you can have with Jesus. And so you can just think these words with me, pray along with me, but let's, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, sorry for making everything about me in this life. Sorry for the things that I've done to hurt others. Sorry for the things that I've done to hurt you. Thank you that you're real. And thank you for this moment. And thank you for Easter. Thank you that you've got a plan for my life and that you can, you can be my God in a practical way. So would you please come and fill me with your spirit? Would you please come and fill me with your presence so that I can know what it looks like to be a Christian? Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen. But I want to pray one more prayer. And I want to pray for all the Christians in the room. Because you see, on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, on, on, on this very weekend 2,000-ish years ago, people gathered from all around in Jerusalem, waving palm branches, shouting, praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail, King Jesus. And they gathered in the city streets to see Jesus because they heard, they heard the stories about something God did in a single person's life. Your story of personal transformation is infinitely more important than you realize. So I want to ask you to stand to your feet. And before we sing in worship, I want to pray one more prayer over all of us. Because the, I believe that what God has done in you is so special, but also important for those who are around you. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this moment. And thank you that you're real. And thank you that you're here. God, I pray for each and every person in this room each person has breath in their lungs. Father, I thank you for their story, and I thank you, Lord, that you are a part of their life. Father, I thank you for the transformation that you've done inside of them, and I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would give them boldness, you would give them courage, you would give them strength. Now, Father, you would help them to see themselves the way you see them. Father, I pray for marriages, I pray for families, I pray for work situations. I pray that God, us, the people of your church, would stand up in boldness and be Christians, not just in this room, but also in the other rooms, the other spaces that take up our lives. Father, thank you for your presence, thank you for this moment. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for Easter. And thank you, Lord, that we can gather here this morning. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen.